Hey, beautiful people. Welcome to the BU Podcast. I'm your host, Ariel Von Bretter. My mission is to empower people to become the best versions of themselves so that they can live their best lives. I'm redefining success so people stop living the lives they think they should live and start living the lives they love. Join me weekly as I share my own insights and speak with guests that have embraced their unique gifts into living life on their terms. I hope these conversations inspire you to make the most out of your life by being your best self. Remember, be you, be beautiful. Hey, you guys, thank you for joining me for another episode of Be You. So what do you do when you feel like you're up against everything? What do you do when your dreams aren't going as planned? What do you do when your life gets turned upside down? You keep going, you fight for your life, you learn to adjust, to pivot, and you have to have hope. In this episode, I get to speak with Barbie Ingle, and she's just so incredible. I love her energy. Like she's just such a radiant, beautiful soul. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear from her. She's just been through so much that I cannot even imagine dealing with what she has dealt with. And she's just using her experience to help motivate and encourage other people to keep going. And um, she is a Uh, chronic illness advocate and pain educator. And I don't want to give too much away because Barbie shares her story in this interview. And I just want you guys to hear it from her. But just know that after listening to her, you're just going to put your life into perspective. You're going to learn how to speak up for yourself and just how to keep going when things seem so difficult. And I just hope you enjoy this conversation and get something out of it. Please reach out to us and let us know what you thought, and please share this episode with someone who you think could benefit from it. Enjoy. Before we get into the show, I wanted to take a moment to share how I host my podcast using Anchor. It's free and easy to use. You can record and edit using your phone or computer, and then Anchor distributes your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. It's super easy to use, and they do the work for you. I highly recommend using Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on to the show. Oh, Barbie, thank you so much for being on the BU podcast today. Will you just um, start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and who you are? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I am a chronic pain patient. I live with multiple rare diseases, and I'm also a patient advocate. And I believe that this is my life purpose. Um, I equate it to being a cheerleader, and I grew up since I was four years old, I knew I wanted to be a cheerleader. And I always thought I was going to be a physical cheerleader the rest of my life. And I ended up actually being a mental cheerleader. And that, that's what I use uh, the skills I learned in cheerleading to do advocacy to help other patients so that they don't have the same journey that I have with the health system. Mm-hmm. And by sharing my story, hopefully it can help people get better care, timely care and proper care. Yeah. Uh, Well, before we kind of really get into your story and like that turning point, I'm kind of curious of uh, like when you were growing up and really into cheerleading, like what was it that you really liked about it and enjoyed? Uh, When I first saw cheerleaders, I was four years old and my dad took us to me and my siblings to a um, diplomats game, which was a soccer team. Yeah. And they had these girls lining up around the field performing and dancing and 
being energetic and, and they were all working together and it just like pumped up the crowd. And I said, I want to do that. I want to pump up the crowd. And (laughs) I still remember the first year I learned and, um, it, it just took off from there. And I told my, I told my parents, I'm going to be a cheerleader the rest of my life. And my dad said, no, you're not. You have to get a real degree. You have to get an education. You can't be a cheerleader the rest of your life, but I've actually found a way to do it. So, um, It just was something I, I saw it and said, that's what I'm supposed to do. And I think it was the more the mental aspects of what was happening on the field. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting my degree in psycho- social psychology. Okay. So I think that that kind of goes with cheerleading as well. And it all prepared me for when I got sick and couldn't live the life I was living. Um, it, it gave me tools that I could fall back on to continue and be successful in life. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, you know, I was just kind of curious because I think so often like the things that we're good at or really enjoy when we're younger, like, yeah, sometimes we're kind of told like, you can't do that forever, but it kind of can lead into um, other things that we enjoy or you can kind of see some of the similarities. So um, (laughs) yeah. And so tell me a little bit about like, the diagnosis that you uh, were given and like what kind of happened um, to kind of end your physical cheerleading career? So I, first off, while I was, I was the head coach of Washington State University. I was the first coach that they ever hired. I got to go to three bowl games. Um, two of them were Rose Bowls. So like the top awesome. game of the country and yeah. um, very exciting for me especially the college I went to didn't have cheerleading. They had, we had cheerleading and I was a cheerleader, but we didn't have bowl games. We didn't have football team. So, um, so it was quite an experience. And, um, and that, uh, I had endometriosis. I went through a couple of years of treatment. I got better and I was like, I conquered the world. Yeah. And thought I was going to just go on with life and, and keep going. And little, little did I know a big boulder, the biggest boulder of my life was going to be placed in front of me. And that is a medical condition called reflex sympathetic dystrophy. So reflex is anything in your body. It goes, um, it's, it's automatic. It just goes haywire. So swallowing your stomach function, um, crying and anything that's automatic, your heart, uh, sympathetic is your nervous system. It feels like someone put lighter fluid on you, caught you on fire. It's running oh, wow. through your veins and um, it's very difficult to put out. And dystrophy is loss of muscle and bone. So people have heard of muscular dystrophy. Yeah. Um, that's the dystrophy of RSD. And I spent about seven years in a wheelchair. It took me 43 doctors to get a proper diagnosis oh, because gosh. it's a rare disease. So doctors don't know it, recognize it, understand it. Even the doctor who diagnosed me still was not able to treat me. And wow. he was he knew enough to diagnose me and do the testing for it, but he did not know what to do with me. So it took another four years to go into remission. And that seven-year period was um, spent bed-bound and wheelchair-bound, just trying to struggle and fight to get my life back. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a lot. Um, it is. So, and with that, I mean... I can just only imagine how frustrating it would be to have to see 43 doctors for one to finally give you the diagnosis. So like, tell me a little bit more about like what that experience was like for you. And like, was it the fact that like they diagnosed you and you're like, no, that's not it. Or they're just like, I have no idea what's wrong with you. Most of them said, I have no idea. 
Yeah. Uh, if they were a lung specialist or a heart specialist, they were looking at that particular part of my body and yeah. not connecting the big picture. So that was a challenge. They would say, oh, you have dystonia where your body locks up, but they couldn't tell me why. They couldn't tell me what it was related to. And you can have dystonia all on its own. So it, it was it a misdiagnosis? I mean, it was a recognition of a symptom, but mm-hmm. until that 43rd doctor, nobody connected all of the different symptoms that I was having. I was passing out often. If I turned my head oh, wow. to the right, my blood flow would cut off. So I would yeah. pass out. Um, it's uh, caused me to have discoloration in my skin. So I got what they call blanching and um, it kind of looks like red spider webs underneath my skin and it, yeah. it shows through um, thinning of my skin, uh, loss of hair and, and, um, and uh, nail structure, yeah. uh, hair on my head and nail structure on my fingers and toes. Um, and I still have like striations when I come in and out of remission, it will leave marks in my nails because my nail, uh, hair and the hair in my nails will change. So things like that, they should have recognized Yeah. But until, until you have ever heard of the disease and there's over 7,000 rare diseases, doctors only know what they learned in medical school. That was one thing I, I realized through that process was not all doctors are created equally. Mm-hmm. And that I have to be a responsible patient. I can't just rely on the doctors to help me. I had to learn a whole new language and be able to go in and say, hey, this is what I'm experiencing. Use my adjectives, share my notes. I started taking daily notes of what I was going through, what I tried to physically do that day, any medications or mindfulness or electrical stimulation, anything I tried, I would yeah. keep a record of it and, and bring it in and say, Here's what I'm trying to do. Here's what's mm-hmm. happening when I do these things and hope and pray that one of these doctors one day would get it. I knew yeah. that I wouldn't give up my life. I had a great life. Yeah. And I knew that I wouldn't give it up. And um, things in my life had to change. And um, the more that I fought to keep my old life, the worse I got. Mm. Yeah. So I was, I was going to ask you if you ever felt like giving up at all, or like, did you are, did you always kind of have that feeling like you're, you know, you want to have your life? I think that's where cheerleading comes into play for yeah. me. I would be down, you know, cheering at a game. And my dad at the end would say, how do you keep smiling and keep cheering? Even if you're losing 50 to zero. Yeah. And it's something that we train to do. So when my whole life fell apart around me, I I lost my house, my marriage, my job, my business. And um, I went from riding around in limos and private jets to food stamps. So I felt like I lost everything of who I was, who I am, and and had to refine it. I never lost hope. I always knew that that there would be something. I just had to keep looking. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's taken me, like if a new symptom comes on or some new disease, because I've developed microlepsy and PLV2 breast cancer and um, valley fevers. I've had other things come on. Some are secondary to RSD and some are just standalones on their own. Wow. And I've always had hope. Like, you know, when people say your glass is half full or half empty, mm-hmm. I always, and I think it's that cheerleading training and mentality, but I've always seen my glasses full. 
The part yeah. that other people can't see is my hope. And sometimes mm. my glass is full of other things. So I only need a little bit of hope. And sometimes I need a lot of hope because yeah. my glass is almost empty to the visible eye. Wow. But I always have hope in my glass. So my glass is never empty. I love that. I've never heard that before, but that's such a good way to look at it. Um, Cause yeah, I've always just kind of been like, I'm a glass uh, half full kind of person because like I am an uh, optimist and I just want to always think positively, but to just be like, no, my glass is full. And it just kind of like, I just might need a little bit more hope or faith or something like that to keep exactly. me going. Hope, faith, motivation. Yeah. If, if those are, are included in your glass of life, keep drinking from it. And yeah. If it's full of negative, yucky drink, dump it out and, and fill it back up with good things. Yeah. And you had said that when you were trying to like hold on to how your life looked before, that's when you were getting worse. Yes. And so tell, tell me a little bit more about like what you mean by that and what that transition looked like. Oh, it looked like a mess, <laughs> but it created a message. Oh, um, I love that. <laughs> So, um, literally like I was, I went, I was married for 10 years at that point, And, um, I asked my husband to come to therapy with me so I could save our marriage. He chose not to. And I started therapy saying, I'm not going to get a divorce. I, I don't believe in divorce. And yeah. you know, a, a year later I was divorced. <laughs> wow. Um, so you can't always fight for something that's not the right fit. And really for me, God was with me the whole time. My first husband didn't believe in God. I thought I had enough for both of us. Yeah. I said, when I, after that experience was done, he actually, when we got divorced, he actually um, converted to being a Christian and believing in Jesus and changed his life around. He still wasn't yeah. meant to be connected to me, Yeah. but God had somebody better for me. And he gave me the biggest sign because uh, my name is Barbie. And my husband now, he's amazing. His name is Ken. So we're Ken and Barbie. Like I had said, you know, I'm not having another husband. I'm never getting married again. I I failed at it. I'm not going to do it. And then God said, well, here's Ken. So (laughs) you got to be together. (laughs) You got to be together. This is like the biggest sign that I can place before you. So that, (laughs) so that experience brought us together. And he, he actually was just a, a, um, the doctors in Washington state said, we don't know what to do for you. We don't know what's wrong with you. Yeah. And I said, well, if you could move anywhere in the world to get the help that you need, where would you go? And they yeah. said, Arizona. So I packed up and moved to Arizona and Ken was my new neighbor. And I wasn't able to drive anymore because of, or at that time, we didn't know it was going to be for forever or long-term. Yeah. Um, at that time we thought it was temporary, but um, he was my neighbor. And I said, Hey, you work from home. I need help going to doctors and physical therapy. Can I pay you to wow. drive me? And we got to know each other and become friends. And, and we, neither one of us were really looking for love. It just yeah. developed and grew. And he said, I was everything that he had been looking for and yeah. waiting for. And why he had never settled down is because he never found someone like me before. Yeah. And I, at that time was at the worst place of my life losing everything, running out of money, not knowing what I was going to do next. And I was like, how could you even find an interest in me when I did nothing? Cause I had lost everything that I worked my life to earn. Right. Wow. He it's like, you'll see, he'll see the good in me when I couldn't see the good in me. 
Yeah. I was like, first of all, you have this story (laughs) of like going through, you know, like this like rare disease and like overcoming that. But then along with it, you've got this like beautiful love story. (laughs) Absolutely. And he, he's an awesome husband. He's a great caregiver. He's a caregiver for me, but his dad lives down the road and he's caregiver for his dad as well. And, um, it's, it's in him and it's part of who he is. But on top of that, he was a Christian. He was a believer. I wasn't trying to make him into something that he wasn't. He was exactly who he is today. And so, um, it, it was literally the, like uh, the right pairing. And the first time I didn't listen to all the cues and signs. The second time I was more in tune with what was going on with my body, with my life, with spirituality, finances, every aspect of my life was on high alert. And I was able to stop and say, okay, what am I supposed to have in my life? What am I supposed to be doing? Where am I supposed to go? And, and that mess slowly got cleaned up. And I now say organizing is my superpower. I organized my life. It was difficult to do, but I built it back and it's different, but it's a great life. Yeah. And so what does your life look like now? So now I uh, published nine books so far. I'm working on three more. Awesome. And, um, <laughs> and I never said I have a learning disability. So I never thought I would read a bright, the bestseller. And I spend a lot of time. My main job is my health and being able to live and function and focus. And mm-hmm. then in my spare time, I mentor other patients, help them and create a large network and people around the world that also need hope and help. And um, that's kind of what my life has has looked like uh, for the last 15 years. Um, Even when I first got involved with advocacy work, I still was bed bound and wheelchair bound, but uh, I ended up um, through the charity before I became president of it. I uh, ended up with a TV interview and I had a patient call me. I was in the parking lot still at the TV station and called and said, I have the same disease as you. And I've been laying in bed waiting to die because my doctor told me it was going to kill me. Oh wow! And I saw you and now I know that I can make it too. And that interview changed her life, seeing somebody else with the same disease. And, And now I know thousands of people with the same disease. RSD and um, we've become a network and are able to help each other and talk about treatment options and things coming down the pipeline and, and help each other. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just so important for people to like share their stories and stuff so that someone can see that there's someone else out there like them. And especially someone, you know, who is inspiring and like surviving and like overcoming it and stuff. So Will you tell me a little bit about like the disease and like, because you were in a wheelchair, like, was that your, like, did they say like, that's how you would be forever? Yeah. Yeah. So how, (laughs) tell me about that. And (laughs) yes, they, I was like, I just want to get back to cheerleading. And they're like, you're never going to cheer again. You're never going to coach again. This is your new life. So learn to live it. And I was like, no, I'm going to be a cheerleader. You watch. Yeah. Um, but the, the more I fought that, the worse I got. So um, the reflex sympathetic dystrophy, the way it attacks our body is anything that the body perceives as a trauma is attacked. So working out, being physically fit is seen as an attack 
on my body. And gotcha. so my body fights to defend itself. Right. And every time I, I try to do something physical or um, increase my endurance, my body fights me. Wow. And um, it, that burning fire pain, I now that I've gotten it turned off, I strive every day to not turn it on. And any injury, I've burnt my hand on the coffee pot. Um, I have stepped on something that punctured the bottom of my foot like a hole punch. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Oh, that was ugh, horrible. Um, but um, even I, I walk, my bones are still brittle. So I walked into a suitcase. I was turning, we had a visitor at our house, my husband's best friend from high school. Yeah. And I thought I'd be nice. We had done some laundry. I went to, to the guest room to set it on the bed, turned to walk out, hit my foot on a wheel of his suitcase and broke my foot. Oh, wow. So something that simple can just break me. Right. And literally. And, um, and, and so, you know, just laying in bed and, and finally saying, okay, I have to limit myself physically really was helpful. But then once I went into remission in 2009, I went through a uh, treatment that I was on a waiting list for. And I finally in 2009 got to, after I get this all started in 2002. So, yeah. um, seven years two, waiting and yeah. yeah. And I, um, there was only two beds in the United States at that time doing the procedure wow. and I had to wait for my turn. And I finally got in and did the procedure. I went into the hospital ICU in a wheelchair. And I, seven days later, I walked out seven years wow. to seven days to, to being able to walk out. But my doctors here in Arizona, they mm -hmm. said, we're not going to discourage you, but we don't really think this is going to work. So don't put all your eggs in one basket and, mm -hmm. you know, don't get your hopes up. And, um, so I, I went to Pennsylvania and I got the treatment. I came home and a few months later I was at a health conference in Las Vegas and I was going down an escalator and I saw my doctor going up the escalator <laughs> and I was like, Hey, Dr. Rubin, how are you doing? And he literally didn't recognize me. <laughs> like, He's like, what? Who is this standing person? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm Barbie. Yeah. And he's like, huh? <laughs> like, it didn't compute. And I'm like, yeah. Ken and Barbie. And he was like, <gasps> and we're like, as we pass each other, he realizes that the treatment worked. Right. And I'm upright and I'm living. And um, he was like, get on the escalator and come back up here and talk to me. Like, what happened? What? Because he literally did not think it was going to work. And, and he didn't yeah. want to put it down too much. He was like, go get it. See what happens. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's probably not going to help still. And then he was just floored. And he's like, whoa. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and then I... Um, through our foundation, talked to some other doctors and one of them said, you know, what was the process like? And, and we told him and my husband had taken a picture of the infusion center at Drexel University. Mm -hmm. And um, we're not supposed to do that. So um, <laughs> don't tell anybody. <laughs> right. But he showed it's been over 10 years. I don't think they can do anything to me now. Yeah. But they showed, they showed the picture to so we showed the picture to my doctor here and he said, I have all of that equipment. I can do this here and I need boosters to keep me walking and oh, keep wow. me upright. Yeah. And so he started giving me boosters here. So I didn't have to keep flying to Pennsylvania. That's awesome. And yeah. And then, and then he opened up a hospital here that only 
treated people with RSD. So now, then now we have Drexel University and Freedom Hospital. Uh, then after a few years, we sold the hospital and the new owners decided not to continue the treatment. They wanted to bring in other types of treatments. Uh. And um, so that stopped. But then six outpatient facilities opened up in our state. And wow. now there's 60 outpatient facilities. So if you can get the initial treatment and it works for you, there's 60 other clinics now around the country that can keep you um, pretty stable and, and uh, moving and living and, and working in life. Yeah, that's that's yeah. so amazing. So, and yeah, but it, it, it literally was like, look, you told me you could do this. So I contacted the local news and I'm bringing them with me. So um <laughs> <laughs> you better do this. You said yeah. you could do it. You better do it. And and I brought the news crew in with me and he did it. So <laughs> that's awesome. And so I'm curious, like, since your doctor had originally told you, like, you know, don't get your hopes up, like it may not work. Did yeah. you go into the surgery, like kind of with the mindset of like, you know, it may not work or were you just like very like positive, like it's got to work. It's got to work. I, well, they did make me, I had to go to counseling and mm-hmm. talk to a counselor who helped prepare me in case it didn't work. Yeah. Um, because they're like, look, there's other things we can try. This right. just is going to become the standard of care for RSD. So mm-hmm. we want to start here. Yeah. But don't give up if this doesn't work. It might not work for everybody. So be ready for that. And so they prepared me just like my doctor here in Arizona did. But luckily for me, it worked amazingly. And, um, I, I still am not back to cheerleading, but two weeks after I got the treatment and was came home, I got mm-hmm. a call from a company saying, Hey, we're doing a cheerleading competition in your area. And we're looking for a safety judge. Would you be able to come in and safety judge? And I was like, this is a sign from God. Yeah. Um, but, and I went and, and I tried to safety judge. It was a two day event. And after day one, I was in so much pain again. Oh, my no. body thought it was, uh, because they didn't take the disease out of me. They just put me into remission. Gotcha. Yeah. So my body was like, ah, noise, <laughs> lights. Like it, my body freaked out. So yeah. um, day two, if there was any safety violations, I couldn't even see straight to write it down on the paper. I just mm-hmm. said, everybody did great. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but I learned. I'm probably never going to be able to do that type of cheerleading again. I have to adjust and, mm-hmm. um, and being a, a mental cheerleader is more rewarding for me. Yeah. And so I am really curious about like, as a Christian and like with your faith going through all of this, like, did that challenge your faith? Like what did, what was that like for you? That is an excellent question. Yeah. <laughs> I got stronger and closer to, to Jesus. I started praying more often. I started, um, even one of the, I had five lung collapses after they did a rib surgery on me and that had complications. I had five lung collapses. One was a full collapse. My life flashed before me. My lung was collapsed and it was laying on my heart. And all I, all I saw in that moment was my literal like snapshots of people I ran into and the thing that mattered the most in life was human connection. And I woke up going, Oh, this isn't a pretty heaven. I thought heaven was going to be prettier. 
Um, <laughs> that was on earth and I'm here to fulfill my purpose. So yeah, it's like, you're not done yet. <laughs> it, it brought me closer to Jesus, whereas I've had friends that ran away and how could God spite me? This isn't to spite somebody. Whatever happens to you in your life mm-hmm. is for a purpose and a reason. We can't always see it at the time. Sometimes yeah. it takes us looking back in, in retrospection and saying, oh, that's exactly why this happened because it put me on this path to put me in this moment for this glory to happen. And that never would have happened if I had tried to stay on the path that I was. It was like, nope, you're not catching the signs. You're not reading the street signs that we're giving you. So we're going to put a boulder in the road and you're going to have to find a way over around uh, through it, make a new path and, and take this new direction. And the signs get bigger and bigger, the less you listen to Jesus. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So if, if I'm, um, but it's not to spite me, it's to help me fulfill my purpose on earth. Yeah. And once I fulfilled that purpose, then I get to go to heaven and have the amazing rest of my eternity there. But while I'm here, I'm here to learn lessons for myself and to help humanity and teach lessons to others. Yeah. And I do that through, through advocacy and cheerleading. I love that. And I mean, so what do you want people to know about um, like chronic pain? That one in three people suffer with chronic pain. So it's you or somebody that you know. We are not taught, our medical system does not teach us how to navigate the health system. You think like everybody that's a doctor is equal and the same. They're not. Find Mm -hmm. the providers that are right for you. Even if it takes you 43, whatever it takes you, find the ones that are right for you. And get the care that you need so that you can live your life better day to day, moment to moment. And um, don't be afraid to to reach out, seek help. There is help. So have hope. Yeah, I love that. And um, I mean, how can someone like really be an advocate for themselves, like with seeing doctors and like with speaking up for themselves? Like what what do you recommend? Get organized, be prepared that get organized. Then you can do all the other things you need to do. Number one, set expectations. Number two, if you have a need for a medication or a procedure and your insurance is denying you, learn Mm -hmm. how to do an insurance appeal or ask for a um, cash price or even ask to be a charity case where they, they do the procedure in exchange for social media of you sharing your experience or them getting footage of your experience that they can use to help promote their business. Yeah. You know, try to think outside the box so that you can get the care you need. There's a lot of ways to get somewhere. You can take a bus or a bike or a car or a boat or a train, cruise ship, whatever it takes <laughs> to get somewhere, find yeah. a way to do it and, and uh, make sure that you don't say, no to the wrong things and that you say yes or no when it's appropriate. Don't feel like you're stigmatized or um, don't have the ability to say that's not right for me. Like with, mm-hmm. with my rib surgery, I should have said, wait, I need more time to look this up. I didn't. And it caused complications. Take that time that you need and don't let anybody push their guilt or stigma and anything, not just healthcare in any part of your life onto you be you and know that you are good enough yeah I love that I mean and one of my questions that I like to ask is like how has being yourself like impacted you know 
where you are and like your success. And since you just said like, be you, I'm going to ask you now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, being me was the most important thing. And when I felt like I lost me, I lost my, I am's in life. I thought I did an exercise, the I am exercise and take a piece of paper and start writing down all the things that you are. For me, I was such in a, um, depressed negative state when I, this first happened to me and I was scratching and clawing to try to climb butt back out of this hole. Yeah. Um, I started on, I started trying to write my IMs and I couldn't think of one. And a psychologist called me and said, you know, how's your list coming? And I was like, I, I suck. I'm horrible. I have nothing. I am nothing. And he was like, let's get you started. He said, you're spiritual. You believe in Jesus. You're a Christian. You have a strong faith. So your first I am is I am spiritual. I was like, yep, I am spiritual a lot. So I wrote down I am spiritual. And then they started flowing. And by the next time that I spoke to to the psychologist, I had 75 things on my list. I have about 150 things on my I am list. And having a bad moment, I can refer back to my list and say, hey, all these positives in my life. I am so many more things than a failure or someone who didn't try or, or, um, whatever negative thought is creeping in. And I just remain who I am. It sounded like that you like continuously add on to this list of statements. Is that like, how do you, how do you practice that? I do. And actually I shared the, the, I am um, practice with other patients that I've come in contact with. And now I actually have patients that will, um, give me their I am's, which is really cool. And then I have, uh, one patient who's become a friend who actually makes graphics for me. And so when they start giving me their I am's, it gives me ideas. And I'm like, is that me? Am I, am I that type of, of, do I have that trait or is that part of me? And, and sometimes you have two things on your list and you're like, well, I am an introvert and I am an extrovert. Well, how can I be both of those things at the same time? Well, you can, you can be two opposing things at the same time. And in that moment, you're more this way or that moment, you're more that way. And it doesn't conflict because that's what you are in that moment. And, um, but I get ideas from other people now and, and, um, Z, my friend, he, he makes me graphics. And so each morning he will put up a new graphic with, with a new, I am, and it could be something he is or something I am. And, um, so I have hundreds of, of, I am's in graphic form now, as well as, you know, just people send me their messages of who they are. And, and I love it because I get to learn and connect and, and, experience other people in their journeys and their stories through learning about their I am's. Yeah. I love that so much. Yeah. And I, and I love that you bring up the point of like, you can have, you know, two things that may seem like they're conflicting, but they're really not because I mean, just like, you're always kind of like things change or you've got to adapt or whatever. And you can be, you know, more of one thing in the moment, but to, you know, acknowledge that so you can still see it. So like, maybe it might be something where you're not feeling it that day, but then you look at your list and like, no, I, I am this. So I am I that. Like I might not be in this moment, but I yeah. am this item. Right. And I, I have this positive attribute and um, it, it really has been like a psychological tool that gets me through and helps me be authentic and be me 
because it's something to bounce off of. Oh, I feel awkward in this situation or, oh, am I supposed to speak up in this situation? Well, yes, I am. That is a part, part of who I am. And part of who I am is to help humanity. So if I don't speak up when I see an injustice or something that goes against who I am, I need to speak up and say, okay, why do you feel that way? Or why did you choose to do this and, and create a conversation that hopefully can be a teaching moment for the person I'm coming in contact with. Yeah. That's or so someone powerful. has something to teach me. If yeah. I, if I have a, I am, that's not you, you know, we're still connecting in some way. Why is that? Am I supposed mm-hmm. to teach you something? Are you supposed to teach me something? So, yeah, that's awesome. And what message do you really want to leave with people today? Uh, that all I ask is you try your best. It's a mm-hmm. message from my dad who's passed away, but he would say that, you know, Oh, I, I suck at this dad. No, all I ask is you try your best. If, if you try, you yeah. will succeed. You just have to keep going and find other ways to accomplish what it is that you want to be and who you are. Yeah. I mean, and it's, you've definitely been living into that. So that's awesome. Thank and you. where can people um, find you and connect with you? You can find me on um, social medias, all of them. <laughs> Look at my name, Barbie with a Y, not IE, because I'm real. And yes. <laughs> And um, my last name, Ingle, barbieingle.com. And then if you have chronic pain or you are trying to help somebody with chronic pain, whether they need to get help getting diagnosed or treatment options or finding a provider, you can go to internationalpain.org and uh, we can help you through there with education, awareness, social events, and access to care challenges that, that patients face trying to get the care that they need to be the best them. Awesome. Thank you so much. You just have such an incredible story. And I know, I feel like we only kind of like touched a little bit of it because I know there's like other parts to you and stuff. So, but I just really appreciate you sharing and just like creating more awareness um, about what you're doing. So thank you. Uh, Thank you. Um, Can I say one thing to your listeners? Yeah, of course. So I think you're awesome. And I've listened to some of your past episodes. I'm going to go back and listen to more because it's very motivational. (laughs) If you're listening to this now and you're finding anything great in this, because hopefully I dropped some seeds that you can grow into trees of your own. And I want you to go and leave a review and let everybody else know that Ariel is doing a great job with the BU podcast and that other people should be tuning in and how you can pay to listen to this episode for free is by leaving that review. That is the currency that, Hey, Atta boy, I see you. Let's do this for her. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the BU podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your friends and write me a review. I would love to hear from you. And you can find me on Instagram at beautifulchick or on my website, beautifulchick.com. Remember, be you, be beautiful.